Just about a week or so ago, we did an interview with a guy I don't agree with politically from a left-leaning economic think tank, which to me was, uh, to an extent, uh, just a a weird thing to hear, that there are left-leaning tanks. But there's... There was a, a, a moment of, of real agreement and understanding that when it comes to baby formula, which is now landed at the airport in Indianapolis uh, just uh, over the weekend, finally we're going to be able to feed the children. There's agreement, and dear Lord, the monopoly power here is nuts. What we have done is flat-out dangerous in allowing just a couple of companies to have such insane control of baby formula in the United States. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you guys. Always a pleasure. And then I came across Jim Garrity, a guy I do agree with, for the most part, politically. We've got a couple disagreements here and there. Jim Garrity of National Review. What's behind the baby formula shortage is his one of his latest there, and it gets into this most unbelievable conversation of the of the criminality involved in how this not only the process works but how people have been engaged in in baby formula for years jim garrity joins us right now and look i don't know the extent to which you are paying attention to the baby formula insanity uh from from the word go and what you knew before this became a a conversation publicly about shortage Uh, but there seems to be a level of agreement amongst the political right and the political left that the system that we have for formula is a terrible awful system where government has gotten in the way and not provided a result yeah i I think i tony i think that's a good summary and i think that uh where you'll find disagreements is that most folks on the right, but not all, would say, okay, well, you know, one of the ways you can increase competition is by opening up what is effectively a protectionist uh, set of scheme. By the way, if you come over from Europe and you have baby formula in your luggage, U.S. Customs and Border Protection will seize it as if it's, you know, heroin or, or you know, illegal guns. Is or that something right? Like that. Something, you know, really menacing and dangerous. And the argument is, well, look, for, there's two arguments. The first is that, well, that stuff they sell over there in Europe, it's not up to FDA standards, never mind the fact that the European equivalents of the FDA have not their own comparable standards and, in fact, in some cases are more strict than the FDA. The other argument is, well, sometimes the labels are in German and people won't know how to give the appropriate amount to their child or something like that. Uh, apparently, you know, American parents are children, too, and can't be allowed to make their own judgments about something like that. The whole idea that the European baby formula um, you know, I don't, you don't hear about European babies keeling over in some sort of terrible mass poisoning or something like that. The Europeans have their own safety standards. The Europeans have their own standards for nutritional value. Uh, you know, is it organic, stuff like that. So the idea that any parent who goes over there and decides to get it, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they know what they're doing and should be trusted and, and all that stuff. The Europeans aren't going to let people sell dangerous baby formula. And this whole idea of, oh, we've got to keep out of that unsafe European stuff, Allegedly, it's over public safety, but a lot of folks have argued this is really to protect domestic production, and uh, that's there. This, you alluded to a couple of months, a couple of moments ago, um, long before.
before this particular shortage, infant formula was one of the items most frequently stolen from retail stores. At least this is according to a survey of retailers conducted by the National Retail Federation. Um, and the idea is, you know, anything, you, you look at retail stores, anything that's stolen, they have this acronym called CRAVED, right? Concealable, removable, available, valuable, enjoyable, and disposable, right? Obviously, it's very tough to steal a large, bulky item. You can't slip it under your coat or something like that. You can't slip it into a, ba- a purse or a bag or something like that. Um, now, we, I, in that list, I, can, I think we can debate enjoyable, but let's just say that, you know, parents of newborns always need this, which means there's always a consistent market for resale, whether it's on, like, eBay or online or something like that. So this has been a factor for a very long time. It's not the only reason that there's a shortage, but it is an exacerbating factor. And I think Abbott Laboratories probably is getting more than its share of criticism. If the recall had not occurred, we would still have had a problem. I think it was at, like, you know, 10%, 20% empty shelves um, before the Abbott recall went through in, I want to say, you know, February, March or something. Well, let me me hold you up right there for a second, Jim. Hold on one second. Talking to Jim Garrity of National Review. It is interesting to hear this conversation about shortages that could have been coming and theft being involved with them, because one of the things that the White House told us was that they've been working on this for months, making you believe that, okay, uh, getting into this idea that had been taking a long time and this is something they had been working on. Is there anything in your investigations and in your looking at this issue that shows that they were working on it at all, opening up other opportunities for manufacture, opening up other distribution channels and moving things around in these rather uh, uh, abusive contracts that, that groups like Abbott and others have uh, with states engaging levels of importation? Was anything done? if this had been going on for a while until the last really 30 days or less when America said, wait a second, this is a problem. If you, if you listen to White House officials, yes, absolutely. Now, Tony, I have heard the president say they'd have to be mind readers to see this problem coming along. Ah. Uh, another off-the-cuff comment from the president that is not only accurate, inaccurate, um, really terrible messaging and such. Now, they say they've been aware of it. I think what we're now seeing is part of this continuing pattern that most Americans are familiar with having, you know, just gotten through the COVID-19 pandemic of how long it took for the FDA to approve COVID tests, how long it took the FDA to approve the various vaccines, how long it took the FDA to approve various different age groups. Was it available for kids? Stuff like that. You know, how it handled internal dissent. The FDA just moves at the pace of the federal bureaucracy. It moves very slowly. It is about as risk averse an institution as you will find on the planet. And as a result of that, you know, when you need quicker decisions, it just can't move any faster. It, it just, there's no sense of urgency at this institution. And they automatically reject any argument about urgency as rushing them and not handling things safely or not. Well, unfortunately, human beings live life at a particular speed. And if the, you know, when you started seeing 10%, 20% of store shelves being empty for baby formula, that was the time to start, you know, oh, okay, what do we have going on here? What, what you know, is it, do we actually need these sort of restrictions on imports? Do we have enough sources and stuff like that? The second thing is this Abbott Laboratory shutdown. You know, the, they did find a form of the bacteria, not the same bacteria that was found in the second infants, in other non-production parts of their factory. So Abbott's saying, look, as far as no one can prove that those infant deaths were because of our for, infant formula, uh, this type of uh, Holman Jenkins had a fantastic column in the Wall Street Journal going into like the biology of this virus. And the short answer is, is that nobody's 100% certain that this is because of the Abbott Laboratories issue. But out of, of abundance of caution, 
They shut it down. They did the cleaning. They did all the check and all that stuff, and that shut it down for several weeks. That exacerbated this problem, but we still would have had this problem even if Abbott Laboratories hadn't had this issue at this plant. So now we see the flights coming in. I thought I thought this was the most spectacular bit of audio on the subject of these planes flying in, cargo planes, military planes, with formula from Europe uh, in, into my beloved Indianapolis. This is Brian Stelter. Listen to this. You saw those pictures in the corner of the screen a few moments ago. The first military flight carrying an emergency supply of baby formula has just landed near Indianapolis, Indiana. Baby formula flown in on a military plane. This is part of the Biden administration's Operation Fly formula as Americans are coping with a nationwide shortage. The pallets of baby formula were flown here from Germany. Uh, the staff, um, the master sergeant overseeing the shipment telling his staff, quote, we are literally saving babies. But this is both a failure as well as a success. The existence of this plane is a failure of the government and a failure of corporations as well, even though these pictures today are meant to symbolize a success by the Biden administration. That's Brian Stelter of CNN. Even though he's trying to couch it and blaming the corporations, the failure of the Biden administration, uh, I mean, that's just... That's as clear as day, and politically, as we enter into a general election season, um, people remember whether or not they're able to feed their kid, and if they don't have food for their kid in 30 days or less, they're really going to remember, Jim. Yeah. Someone over at Town Hall, I don't know if it was our mutual friend, Kurt Schlichter, but it seems like the sort of thing he would write, referred to this as the Berlin airlift in reverse. And isn't that just the kind of thought that we in the United States are dependent upon someone else. And you sit there and you think about it like, so, you know, okay, so a, first of all, this factory, I think the, it's very debatable, right? The second thing is if you're going to have a problem that shuts down a factory, how quickly can you get it you know, back up and running again and be assured that the formula that's coming out of that factory is going to be fine? Um, again, everything is just moving at the pace of bureaucracy. And it's, you know, it takes long. And the problem is that you, when you have this, there are pre-existing problems with supply chain issues. You have a pre-existing crime issues and stuff like that. You, you know, it's going to be like parents, this is not the sort of a product where if you have one, you, you can shift brands. Um, and I'm sure every, every parent in the country appreciated Bette Midler saying, just breastfeed more or something like that. Right. I mean, if that's an option for parents, that's great. But, there, you know, there are a whole bunch of families where the child won't latch on or they're not producing enough or the child's a finicky eater. There are all kinds of problems that, you know, make people dependent upon infant formula. And the solution is not to say that, well, you should have been wiser and been a better breastfeeder or something like that. Your solution is to say, all right, how many different sources can we get it from? And Europe is awash in this stuff. And it's, you know, by some standards, healthier than they are. But we can't have it over here because allegedly it's going to be allegedly going to compete with U.S. stuff. Oh, by the way, I should point out my the excellent reporting of my colleague Dominique Pino, who points out large uh, about 60 percent of all infant formula in this country is bought by the WIC program, uh, supplemental nutritional program run by you know the HHS, and, and that's. Basically, when you have large government purchases making controlling an industry, it is not responsive to price points. You'd think the other producers would be like, oh, well, you know, Abbott's got a laboratory taken out. Huge demand there. There's a vacuum to be filled. We can rush in and fill that up. Uh, unfortunately, that we don't have that in this country because so much of the infant form, as you said, there's only three or four major producers, and almost all of what they, a huge chunk of what they purchase is purchased through government. Before I let you go, there 
I started with this this conversation I had had with someone from a leftist uh, economic tank, Matt Stoller, is who I had the conversation. Mm. He's an interesting guy. Okay, yeah. he, he, right. Because he's not a down-the-line party man. He's a principled liberal, which puts him, you know, he's, when he thinks Democrats screw up, he's willing to say so. I'll give him credit for that. And it was it was it was an interesting uh, conversation. You know, we we have a different view on 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 the corporate world, but but neither here nor there about th- this monopoly conversation. And when you realize that Abbott and I forget the other company, they control about eighty plus percent of the baby formula world, and of course the the contracts with WIC, women, infants, children, uh, through this governmental uh, assistance uh, program uh, that locks states into certain uh, contracts. Does this? What we have seen, uh, uh, if, if you want to argue, I'm looking for the silver lining, sure. If you want to argue, never let a crisis go to waste, uh, all of a sudden I'm Rahm Emanuel, fine. But I'm making the argument that we need to have more uh, manufacturers and more people in this system. Has there been talk of this moment creating a, hey, we need to open this up to three or four other producers, please? Well, I think the first question is, if you wanted to make your own infant baby formula company, what would you have to do to, take, to start that up, right? That, you know, obviously, the, the cost to entry to this market are pretty considerable. Um, but you know, it's interesting. This is in light of something I was just writing about today in which Apple reportedly is now saying, you know what, maybe we don't have so much of our production capacity over in China because they've, been, you know, they've shut down Shanghai for the better part of two months and nobody's allowed to leave their apartments. Maybe China just isn't as safe a production spot as possible. We've had basically three or four decades of people saying, globalization, that is the future. We're going to have this stuff made all over the place. We're going to have all this stuff. We're going to have just-in-time shipping, and we're going to have this utterly interconnected world. Well, now, when we don't have protectionist trade policies that keep foreign stuff out, um, I think this question of maybe it's better to have a whole bunch of uh, production facilities, including a whole bunch here in the United States, so you don't have to suddenly deal with some other country's distant problem. And all of a sudden you can produce this yourself if you want, uh, is, is going to gain traction. I think that a certain amount of foreign production, between because of COVID-19, because of supply chain issues, because of the backups, the ports, all these different issues, probably are making corporate America say, you know what, maybe making it here isn't such a bad idea. Yeah, the labor's more expensive. Yeah, we got to deal with, deal with U.S. regulations. But... We don't have the problems of all of a sudden, you know, a foreign city can be shut down for two months or something like that. So I'd like to think we are, are seeing a, a rejuvenation of U.S. industry on this. Uh, I think if you, were, if you were wanted to start a new U.S. infant baby formula manufacturer, I think you'd probably have a lot of investors right now. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest, Tony. I, I, in that sense, I don't have a crystal ball, and I don't know how many hard lessons we learned from this ordeal for so many parents from coast to coast. Yeah, the, the, the idea of cost of getting into it, th- those levels of barriers to entry, I don't say aren't real, uh, but as long as there are less governmental regulatory uh, barriers to entry, it could allow some people in, and clearly, I don't know how we haven't learned that we should have people in, or at least not be so upset when parents make their own formula, because that was the, I mean, just between you me and the lamppost, we, we, we both have kids, and my kids are, are older. Um, the idea that you shouldn't make food for your kids was it, to to listen to that conversation flat out stunning and it, and to me so much of the problem of government dependence right like that was in a, in this weird nutshell like this is the problem that that we that is this is the root of of whether or not you believe government is the answer to the problem or government is the problem yeah oh by the way if you know if if just kind of taking us full circle 
if this retail theft problem was taken care of, by the way, it's not just, it's not hungry parents who are shoplifting because they're so desperate. I mean, you probably can find one or two examples of that. But they mean it's like organized retail theft rings. These right. are the folks who steal $8,000 worth at a time, right? Or it falls off the back of a truck. Uh, they it's store employees who smuggle it out. All kinds of stuff like that lead to large scale. So when, we talk, when I mentioned that earlier, I should point out, this is not, you know, one or two cans disappearing from a shelf. This is like crates and crates of the stuff that ends up being sold on eBay instead of being sold through traditional retailers the way it was supposed to. And, of course, obviously the thefts get reported. It goes up the line. It makes the cost go up higher. All of these factors, one, add to higher price of it and also make it scarcer to find. And I would bet, with so many people having a shortage of it, I would bet organized retail theft of this uh, of infant formula has probably increased in the last couple of weeks because people know there's such great demand for it that they probably can try to get it uh, much higher prices for it if they try to sell it on, you know, on the black market. Jim Garrity uh, from National Review. By the way, you can check out his books, Between Two Scorpions and Hunting Four Horsemen, at Amazon.com. Uh, Between Two Scorpions, check it out for yourself. Jim Garrity, NationalReview.com. I appreciate it. More on Tony Katz.